2020 shit show. Oh, it's almost done. Christmas is just around the corner, and my only wish to Santa is that I can see it in my freaking rearview mirror. Then I can give it a big middle finger F you. Now that I've got the negative crap out of the way, it's time to get inside my brain as we talk to some really cool people about some really cool stuff. So let's get it on. And welcome to my Motley Thoughts. Fist bumps to everyone listening, or maybe just a, like a bow in Jap- as a Japanese person would seeing as we uh, kind of have social distancing going. Today's guest is another old friend of mine I've known since I think 19 years old. He's an ex-NHLer drafted by the New York Rangers. He went on to play for five NHL teams, and I'll ask him later if that can make him like a suitcase or not. Anyways, he's a fellow Olympian playing in the 94 Olympics in Lillehammer. He also played in a world championships in 95 in Sweden. He's currently a broadcaster working with Sportsnet 650 as a radio color analyst covering the Vancouver Canucks. He's also a public speaker and an advocate for mental health and wellness. Since he is a member of the goalie union, he might not be all there. But he is definitely all that. He is my good friend, Mr. Corey Hirsch. That's probably the most true introduction I've ever had, <laughs> Dusty, to anybody. So it's it's uh, it's all good. You and I, I, we've known each other a long time. We go back yeah. to our junior days, yeah. about 87, 88-ish. So my goodness, it's, yeah, we're looking at uh, 32 years, my friend. <laughs> I know. It has definitely been a long time. I, I think w- when we first, your first year would have been my second to last yeah. year in the in junior and we pl- were you a rookie when we played that big final to, that, was, that was my second year pro or was my second year second junior, year junior? So 17 you would have been the 19 or 20 yeah 19 year old yeah and you were yeah it was you and jamie were you so where were you were you in lethbridge the prior year as well yeah because you got traded right yeah you were in yeah. new west i was correct? in new west before that and then yeah got traded and then just get traded for Remember? Uh, um, Rob Kroos, Calvin Wilshire, and there's a three. Rob Kroos was a good player. Yeah. Three players, yeah. and for me, who? <laughs> yeah. You don't know who the other, yeah, right? Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, it was, uh, and, and that was when, you know, I was supposed to be the thing there in New West, yeah. and then Oli uh, was down in the BC Hockey League, Kolzig. Yeah. And then we brought him up. And I actually played against Kamloops that year in the playoffs. Okay. And uh, Oli came up. And then that summer, they made yeah. uh, the trade. And Oli kind of took over my role there. And I went off to Leverage. Yeah, they made, yeah. Well, I'm not a guy, to, not a bad guy that they made room for. Hey, <laughs> what, what are your... What are your best friends too these days? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. We joke about it because my uh, some of my closest friends were guys that uh, uh, were my goalie partners, uh, and I had Oli and then Jamie and and people outside of the game. Well, you know, social fans of the game were like, "Well, well, what happened to you?" (laughs) Oh Jesus! You had a pretty good career yourself. Uh, yeah, you, know, I, you didn't I, do too bad. Yeah. <laughs> you had a really good career, and uh, that's the thing, right? Is, is it's like, uh, 
it, it's such a so many things have to happen along the way, right? You got a right team, right place. You know, oh, yeah. you can be you got to be good too, but there's just you know, unless you're a superstar that it, like unless you're like Connor McDavid's always going to play in the NHL. It didn't matter right. where if you could put him in a <laughs> Yeah, right in a phone booth and he's going to play in the NHL. But for the rest of us, it's like right place, right time, right teams, you know, getting with good people, coaches. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you ended up having a, a really good pro career over in Japan, which is pretty awesome too in itself. You probably made more money than I did going over there. <laughs> <laughs> All us guys that toiled it out over the minors while well, the smart guys went over to Europe or Japan and made money. Yeah, well, I remember my, my first year uh, pro here, I think my contract was for like, I don't know, 30 grand Yeah. in, in the IHL. It was 37 grand or something. It, if that, I can't, yeah. it was pretty, uh, pretty brutal. And it, when I finally went over to Japan, it changed, definitely changed my life. I, I don't have any regrets, but it's kind of funny. It took a long time for me to accept some of the, you know, the direction changes, how kind of yeah. my career went as opposed to others. But it said some people never ever come to terms or kind of recognize their own mistakes. Uh, yeah. I was fortunate enough to kind of see the light in, on myself and some of the things that I did along the way that, cause you're right. Like some people are talented enough and, and it doesn't work cause it's just luck or timing, but you know, sometimes we also make bad decisions as well. Yeah. And uh, I made some of those along the way. I thought, Oh, so did I, you know, yeah. But it, I guess it's how you recognize yourself and understand yourself uh, kind of makes you grow as a person. And uh, I was fortunate enough to finally kind of see some of that as I grew up and and uh, and moved along my career. Yeah, I, and I was the same. I, I did some things too. But you know, when you're a kid, it's so it, you almost have to try to forgive yourself for you know we're considered 20 years old, we're considered adults you're really not an adult you're not even close to like you're still a kid right yeah. you're just you're still trying to fit you think you got the world figured out right and uh yeah you, i'm still trying to figure it out and you look back and man a lot of great things happen too though right like so many so many good things along the way so many people friends we met right i mean who'd have thought you and i'd be sitting here doing a, a video podcast together you know, 32 years later where I'm, I'm coming over to your house every once in a while getting you to teach me songs while we're in the Western Hockey League final battling it out against each other. <laughs> it, it was kind of funny when uh, I was writing some stuff down, you know, because, you know, I got a shitty memory. <laughs> so oh, I God, had to, I, I'm right there with you. I had to uh, remember, you know, exactly, you know, as if people that don't know our, our, our history or whatever, I'll kind of explain how Corey and I met. And it was in junior. We were in the Western Hockey League playing against each other. And uh, like I said before, we were, I think it was my second last year and your second year. And we play, ended up playing each other against each other in the finals, in the WHL finals. Yeah. And I, I started remembering, my memory started coming back and, and, that those two teams, pretty special yeah. teams. Oh my God. So much firepower. So yeah. like, like really to be a goalie in that series. When you think <laughs> about it. Like, yeah. I mean, my defense was, I had a good defense. I mean, I had Niedemeyer, Sidor, Middlestad, Malcock, you know, three guys that played in the NHL. Uh, Middlestad didn't play in the NHL, but I had good defense, but we were all like Scott Niedemeyer was 16 years old. I so know. 
right? I was 17. Daryl Sador was 17. Like we're all young. And, yeah. and I, I, I think your defense was almost very similar. And then all these older veterans up front that, you know, had like 185 points. Lynn Berry had 85 goals, right? Like it's yeah. ridiculous how offensive both teams were. Like amazing. <laughs> we both came up, got out alive out of that series. You and I, it was, uh, well, we had, we, we had a young defense, not a very good defense, but our front, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. had the super six or whatever they call yeah. them. Oh, it was ridiculous. They all had over 120 points. Yeah. All six of them. I think it was like, uh, whew, Mark Gregg, Wes Walls. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Enns, Brian Bronx, Jason Ruff. Yeah, Corey Lyons, didn't you? Corey Lyons. Yeah. And, uh, so, from anywhere. Yeah. And these, we were kind of similar to the early uh, Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. A lot of defense. Uh, <laughs> and they used to joke about it. They're like, yeah. stop the puck. We'll score the goals. And yeah. you stop the puck. And they would like, if they were having an off night or whatever, they're like, relax. We got this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to score 10, even if you're letting nine. Right. Yeah. I had that too. I was the same. I think my, my goals against the average was like 385 or something like that of that year. <laughs> well, I looked. I looked at our uh, the the goalies that that year, yeah. and you, you, I was first <laughs> first in the in the league in goals yeah. against at three fifty eight. <laughs> and you were like right. You were like right there. That, that was like the top. Sent, that would get you sent to the not even the BCHL <laughs> nowadays. You'd, you'd be in the KI. Right, it'd be even uh, yeah, league lower than that. But yeah, I get embarrassed when I look at the the uh, DB or the elite prospects, and I look at my stats, and I'm like, oh my god. But there was no, I mean, there was no defense. Like they didn't play. It was there was no systems and defensive play. And if you had a if you had a system, you were better. Like Ken Hitchcock had systems, right? And Bob Lokes was your coach, and he put in systems. Yeah, Ken Hitchcock knew. It's no doubt why we were, you know, and how the other coaches were just, you know, they didn't know what to do. Now coaching is just kind of choked the life out of the game defensively, right? It's so different. It's uh, way different. Uh, you sit in those meetings as a coach, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it just makes my gives me a big headache. Yeah, it really does. It goes it's on so overcoached. And on. It, it's it's pretty heavy yeah. now, and you know there's. It's interesting, and I get it, but uh, it it uh, it really is. You can say kind of overcoach at times. It's uh, oh, overthought, yeah. and almost you kind of go in circles sometimes in those meetings. It's crazy. I didn't. So I just I just pulled up your stats. I didn't know you ended up in Regina. That I've yeah, been following you. as a twenty year old. Yeah, I was in Hartford's camp that year, okay, and went to Springfield. And uh, for all intents purposes, everyone thought I was staying. I had a really good camp and thought yeah. I was going to sign. And and then uh, the last minute, I think it was Johnson Eddie was the, okay. the GM there. And he said, unfortunately, we're going to have to send you back to junior. And I was like, okay, because uh, wow. Loxy thought I was staying. So he made some moves and, and Jamie now was going to take my spot as the number one guy. And so I told Lucy, I said, okay, trade me. And he said, I waited actually in springy uh, for the trade. And then I finally went back to Leftbridge and sat there and waited. And 
he called me in late at night. He said, uh, I know I tried to trade you. I told you I tried to trade you to a contender, which was like Swift or Spoke at the time. Right. He goes, but uh, we got a really good deal. And uh, we had to take what was best for the organization. I said, just spit it out, Luxie. Where'd you trade? And he goes, Regina. And they were oh. like dead last in the league. And well, anyone that knows Regina. Oh, I was, freezing. I was freezing like, God, are you kidding me? And he goes, yeah, and they want you there tomorrow. tomorrow. And I was so bummed. And I'll tell you what, though. I met a lot of great people. I played with Silly and Huery, uh, Jamie Heward and, and Mike Sillinger. Yep. Met some really good friends there. But when I got traded there, I was like, oh, my life just ended unbelievable i'm looking at the year right now i had an 876 save percentage <laughs> <laughs> 382 and i was probably second in the league after you <laughs> no doubt <laughs> oh that's it, fantastic it, yeah. it, a lot of good times though. a lot of good times i actually just oh, had some amazing uh, times i had jamie on uh a couple shows ago and uh it was so much fun because you know i stayed close with jamie but yeah. We don't see each other anymore, right? No. Lives and where we live and, and careers. So it's always so nice to to just sit back and chat. Yeah. Like I, I got I write some stuff down and I want to talk about some things, but it 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 really does kind of turn you, you forget. You just start talking because it's a friend that you don't get to to chat yeah. enough with. Yeah. I, I mean, that's most of my buddies too. They're all, you know, and everybody's all over the place, right? It's not like, you know, you look at people's lives or movies or whatever. It's usually they're hanging out with their friends because they're, they grew up, they went to high school together. They married, bought a house in the same area. Like I don't have any of that. All my buddies are scattered everywhere. Right. Yeah. Like I got my, one of my best friends is Glenn Metropolitan. He lives in Tampa. You're in Vancouver, right? Like Ole Colzig, where's he? He's all over the place. He's, he might, is he down in tri cities? Is he in Washington? Right. Yeah. Like, He's all those guys in that Florida, we, yeah. I think oh, he's in Florida, or, or maybe he moved back to try. I had right? a cute track, yeah, exactly. But it's funny when you see each other, you just it's like you just it's like old times, nothing's changed, right? And that's yeah. the greatest part of it. Uh, it's it that's a little bit different compared to the average person, yeah. They are like, How come you guys, you know, you got to make a bigger effort? And I'm like, They'll be my friends. Like it, it just yeah. kind of, you pick up where you left off. Uh, I do try to make a more, more of an effort now uh, yeah. because I, I think especially right now. Yeah, uh, I agree. It, it's important uh, because not everybody um, is wired the same and some people need a little more and, you know, we'll talk about this later. I like to leave the more serious stuff for later on, but uh, as far as mental health is concerned, but I think it's important to to stay connected. I actually usually exit my pod by, and I I, I reference uh, staying connected to to people absolutely that I care about for sure. Absolutely, especially now, and I think that's one thing that I've been taught through this is that you know I'm I'm a lot more connected with my friends uh, and just checking in on people. Um, the way things have gone, it's been you know. Uh, hopefully it'll end here soon, but uh, it's still going to be a while, right? It's still, we're still going to have to take care of each other. And that's the most important thing right now. Uh, and appreciate each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I told you before the show started, you know, I like to stay out of politics and stuff. Uh, 
but in general i can i can say with everything that's going on whether you're right left center uh black white or purple uh yeah. the, i do believe that we are going to have to kind of come to you know stick up for each other take care of each other because it's like it the chaos is just out of hand and people are are, are losing lives like in in the field that you you're a big advocate for and uh especially uh secretly people are are more than just struggling so um you know staying connected is huge and i that's the biggest reason why i started this i just yeah. i wanted to chat about with friends about things that i liked and cared about and and uh and just wanted to have a good time doing that and the first couple i did i was like i'm glad i started this because it's it's a lot of fun yeah and it is fun and, and you know what you never know who you're going to reach and who you're going to help you, you just don't know you don't know yeah, who, yeah. right so um, and that's the biggest thing is, is that it doesn't matter if, if uh, you know, who it is or whatever it is, but you just never know who needs to hear what they need to hear and you might help somebody through it. Right. So I think it's awesome. You know what? We, we can jump back to the uh, fun stuff. I was going to ask you about coach, some of the coaching stuff, and then we'll talk about you playing some yeah. guitar and whatnot. But since we are on the topic, you know, of the mental uh, health and, and, the, the awareness and everything that has you've really kind of focused a lot of your life towards it as as you moved along here um can you explain to to some of the listeners exactly what you're doing how this yeah. all came about well i um so i you know i have a, a obsessive compulsive disorder i was diagnosed when i was like 24 25 years old mm-hmm. um and i look at it so my hockey career i spent 20 years playing hockey um, but I'll have mental health issues the rest of my life. That's just the way it is. So I'm going to have mental health issues the way a lot longer than I'll have ever played hockey. It's, it's such a significant part of my life. And I look back and, you know, why did that happen? Whatever, what do I, did that happen? But, you know, I advocate for, uh, mental health education in our school system. I advocate for, you know, bringing light to, uh, people that are struggling with suicide, um, things in in that direction I, uh, and and basically the system and how you know it's it, i'm telling people to reach out and get help and it's difficult to get the proper help the system is not set up to help people with mental health and we need mm-hmm. to change that um so that's really what i i advocate for right now um you know it's um it's been a long time my story came on the players tribune about three four years ago and since then my life's changed immensely dusty like uh there's nothing like when you talk somebody uh you know that's really struggling to getting into help in their lives you see their lives improve so much once they get the help uh, and how much better they there's no win in hockey i ever got that that made me feel that sense of purpose and that good there's no it doesn't even compare Right. So I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It took me a while to get here to this point, but uh, this is truly my path. Um, hockey has given me an unbelievable platform, which I'm blessed to have. Um, but the platform that I thought was to be an NHL player and make millions of dollars actually turned out to be a mental health advocate and to help people. And now you don't even think about the money, right? It's about helping people. And good things come your way when they, when you do that. Whenever you help somebody, it's amazing how it comes back tenfold to you. Wow! No, that's excellent. It's it's strange how things kind of just happen, and you when you think you're 
on one path, it kind of takes you down another and, and guides you unintentionally sometimes. I, it was interesting reading your original uh, article. What was it? Was it in the... The Players' it? Tribune. Yeah, yeah, the Players' Tribune. And I knew nothing of it. No, none of it. Nobody did. I mean, I hid it for so long, right? Yeah. Like all my friends and that. Uh, we've been friends for years. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people were quite shocked when, you know, that didn't know me. But I think the shock came to most people was uh, people would see obsessive compulsive disorder as, you know, hand washers or people that are overly neat and organized. And right. unless you know about or have been affected by or someone you love has had it, you know that it's so much more than that. And people are like, oh, that's so they wash their hands a lot. Nah, what's the big deal with that? So they're clean. Oh, so they're neat. So they're, no, it's not like that. There's so many more facets of it. And you can't see because I do everything in my head. I'm not like hand washers. You could see because they're washing their hands. I do everything in my head. Right. Um, but the thing is, is, is that, so that's how I was able to hide it. But I have a lot of people that I know that have loved ones that have taken their lives because of obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, you know, a lot that have attempted and people didn't see OCD as being, you know, a mental health issue that was deadly or that was an issue or suicide or anything like that. And I think that article brought to light that, yeah, like it can bring you to your absolute knees um, left untreated. Uh, so I think that's where people are a lot really shocked with the article. And then, you know, again, people think that they can look at you and tell you you've got mental health issues, but no, you can't tell Like you don't know what someone's going through. Right. Um, so I think that was the other shock part of it too, was, is that, you know, everyone thought I had everything laid out in front of me um, and that I didn't struggle. And it was like, it really blew the doors off of mental health when that article came up. Yeah. Well, it definitely did. I remember um, lots of people I know, you know, had texted me after and said, because they kn knew that I knew you and we were friends. And if I asked if I had known about yeah. it and I was like, uh, I had, actually that was the first, the first time I got the uh, text was when I decided to read it. Cause I didn't even know yeah. what they were talking about. So I read it and then I got more uh, people contacting me and I said, I had no idea. Yeah. No, yeah. So I find that very fascinating. Um, but fascinating, but not so surprising. I, I think uh, with anything and not just that type of disorder, but just things that aren't something that you necessarily be proud of per se. Yeah. We'll hide things. It's just our nature. It's uh, how we are as people. Uh, if it's not something to be um, proud about or, or put on a mantle and show yep. off to the world, we can, we tend to kind of hide things. And uh, so I wasn't so surprised as more uh, fascinated and curious. And, you know, I was concerned and, but it sounded like you were on the right path for sure. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. No question. Uh, and it's, it's not a place of, of coming, Hey, feel sorry for me or this. It's a place of, you know what? I'm good. Like you can go have a great life too, right? This can happen to you and you can get out on the other side. And that, that was kind of the message out of all of it was, is like, you know what, just because this happens doesn't define you as a person. Um, it's no different than, you know, somebody that has diabetes. I didn't, I didn't ask for a mental health issue. I didn't ask for, I didn't say, give me somebody, give me obsessive compulsive disorder, or I go out and do things that would get me. I didn't ask for any of it, but it happened. 
right? Just right. no different than somebody that gets cancer. They don't ask for it. They're not, you know, they're, they're not sitting there asking for it. And, or someone that has diabetes, it's no, it's no different yet. It's been treated differently. Um, and it's time that that changes. Like our brains are, are very complex. We don't know uh, even a 10th of what they, what they can do, but they're still physical pieces of our body and they are going to break. That's just the way it is. Uh, you know, no different than your nose can break or your arm or your elbow or your heart can, you know, dysfunction, your brain can dysfunction, cannot function too, because it, we're human beings. We're not perfect. It's a physical piece of your body. Yet it's been treated as though if you don't have a perfect brain, there's something wrong with you. Right. And that you're crazy or there's something you're going to do something nuts when in actual fact, um, someone with a mental health issue is like 75% more likely to be a victim of a crime than actually commit one themselves. And that's, you know, and that's, but it's been viewed as something that's completely the opposite. Uh, most people that I know with that struggle with mental health issues are some of the kindest, most uh, incredible people I know. And we need to start treating them, uh, uh, you know, as we need to start treating this like we treat physical health. It's no different. And that's where I think, you know, I, I want to see change. Mm-hmm. You know, I just uh, I just started watching that uh, program. I think I, it's on Prime, Amazon Prime, and uh, it's the Probert story. Yeah, so uh, good. Yeah, I hadn't I haven't watched it all yet. Uh, I just started, and I didn't have time to finish it. But I was right away. I I was I was uh, entranced by the whole it, it, the beginning, and I you know I was a big fan, obviously, and. Uh, but it, you could tell it's taking a turn yeah. early in the show and uh, it's heavy. Yeah. Well, and see, that's, that's why I advocate for mental health in, in high schools and middle schools and even elementary, because it didn't have to go that way for Bob Probert. Right. I mean, this is a guy that should have been in therapy from the time he was like 17, 18 years old. Um, you know, struggling right. with, with the loss of his dad, struggling with, uh, you know, but he, but he wasn't. Right. And he, they, right. he just kind of kept going along the system and, and addiction only goes one of two ways. It only goes either you get better and you stop drinking or doing drugs completely, or you end up dead. There's no middle road, right? You, you yeah. can't be an addict and, and go down the middle and some do sometimes, you know, no, if you're an addict, it goes one of two ways. It's either you get better and you live a healthy life and you, uh, or, you know, and that's unfortunately what happened with Bob Probert, right? I mean, it went the other way. Yeah, no, it, I do know the story for sure. Yeah. And we, we all do, but to see it on film and see his family and, and different people talking about it, it's, it's pretty heavy, man. <laughs> and he was, a, and people think of someone like that, what he must've been an, uh, an asshole or a bad guy or people loved him. His teammates loved him. Oh yeah. He was I a know great that. guy. Right. Like, and that's why it didn't, I, it just feel like, it didn't have to go that way. And that story, it does make me sad. Yeah. Well, one of the common denominators, and I, I can relate to this, is because I was very much like this growing up as far as um, I noticed in watching Bob Probert how he was very, him and his brother uh, kept everything in. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of had to show an exterior of toughness, uh, toughen up. And we, we were brought up like that as I was the same as far as uh, um, just kind of manning up, you know yeah. what I mean? 
and 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 I, don't get me wrong i i'm still i parented my kids uh, my boys anyways a lot like that with the loving uh yeah. caring as well but uh to just have fathers and, and people just not say anything and just there's no communication and then the kid doesn't communicate and then he, you cycle you yeah. can never really tell what's going to happen with that person because they're yeah. keeping it all in. That's how I noticed. That's what I recognize anyways, when I saw the whole Probert thing, he's awesome, awesome person, but there's things inside of him that he, if he had to just shared, you know? Yep. And it needed to stay. And it was at an early age. It was a young age. Right. And, but, yeah. but, but people glorified him too at a young age for doing the things that he did, you know, like getting on the ice and, and getting in fights and destroying other people. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's yeah. such a, it's, you know, and I used to be that guy too, that used to like watching the fights and, and my teammates would fight and we'd talk about it and we'd be like, Oh, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And now I look back and I'm like, you know, it's, it's really, it's not right. And I'm not a, a proponent of banning fighting or anything like that. I still, whatever, you know, if you're a man, do it, you know, it's part of the game, whatever. I, I got no problem with it. Um, but it just makes me think, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm playing with Daryl Sidor, he's 16 years old. He gets in a fight with Mike Sillinger, uh, his very first ever fight. We're playing against Regina at home in Kamloops. Daryl Sidor, 16, Mike Sillinger, 17, both played in the NHL. But people are standing and cheering watching 16 and 17 year olds beat each other up. Right. Like, like it, I'm just like, I, and at the time I, I talked to Sid after and, and it was all, we were all like, yeah, great fight. Good job. for." And now I'm thinking as an, as a 48 year old man and a parent, um, you know, like that's completely wrong. What to, to watch a 16 and a 17 year old fight and, and grown adults cheering them on right? Whether yeah. it's on the ice or off the ice. So there's so much, you know, you could uncover into that, but um, it's just the way it was back then. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a topic in and of itself for sure. Yeah. No I've question. had it with my wife uh, many times because someone that uh, not from the game or in the game fan uh, yeah. might see things a little differently. Yeah. Uh, and I respect that. I can, I totally understand it. It's kind of hard to explain some of it because if you're brought up in it, uh, yeah. uh, even the idea of fighting at all, uh, to the average person seems totally insane and barbaric. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But you also have never stepped in our shoes and how we are brought up in the game. And Absolutely. I also understand things change and, and, uh, and we have to recognize uh, brain trauma and all these different things. And yep, absolutely. I totally get it. Yep. But don't dis, you can't disregard our upbringing either and, and, and the game itself and, and what it is. And uh, like, for example, some of this, how some of the things are, maybe as far as fighting in junior, do you ban it? Do you not? Well, if you, do but you don't in the nhl now you're going to run into some problems <laughs> yeah it's, with kids getting hurt jumping into the nhl because they're not prepared so yeah. it's a it's a tough topic i i don't like to talk about it uh with outside of my hockey friends because it's a it's not a it's not it's a slippery slope it's not as cut and dry as people think right, right. it's yeah. um you must have yeah. being a broadcaster you must 
because uh, you do have to talk about things like that. Uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, you know what my my thoughts are. You know, I've always been a proponent for if you're an adult, you can make your own decisions. Um, but if you're not, if you're a 16 and 17 year old kid playing junior hockey, I just feel like a 20 year old shouldn't be fighting a 16 year old. Uh, you know, and I, I just don't, I, I think if you're 18, 19, 20, I, I I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't know how you regulate it or whatever. Right. Um, you know, they've done a good job of cutting down on it, but I, I don't think a 16 year old kid should be going into a junior hockey team, uh, and fighting a 19 year old, right. There's such a big discrepancy in, um, size maturity uh so that that's that's kind of my thing but once you're an adult i mean hey you know what we all make decisions that it's you, you got to live with the consequences right but <laughs> I, it, to me yeah, a 16 17 right. year old they're still kids and i think we, we we should be protecting them we don't want to scare great players out of the game which it used to happen remember a 16 year old oh, come in and get the crap beat out of them and you ruin, know ruin great it. player and then that was it Done. you didn't see him for I uh, played with a guy named Rob Gordon in uh, the minors in, in, and he was an adult, of course, at this time, but he was a skilled guy. We had a bench clearing brawl and he got the crap beat out of him. And he was the first round pick of the Canucks. That was it. Had zero interest in hockey after that, you know, and, and really just kind of quit. Um, and wow. that we don't want that, right? Like we, we, that's the stuff we don't want. We, we, you know, we want to see the best play and you should be able to be put in a safe enough environment to use your skills and talent level, right. Without having to worry about that. So like you said, that's a whole nother topic we could get into for hours, right? With yeah, no and, doubt. And, but, but unless you've been in the locker room with a teammate and felt those emotions where you need to stick up for a teammate, right? Like, and sometimes that can lead into a fight. I mean, that's sticking You're like brothers. It's like someone pushed your brother or someone punched your brother in the face. Well, guess what? I'm getting in there too. Right. I mean, that's just, that that's the way it is. So yeah. yeah, it's such a different mentality when you're in the locker room on a team because you're like brothers. And just the the way the game is in general. Yeah. I think uh the the kind of family uh like you said, stick up for each other uh upbringing when you brought up through the game of hockey is like no other. Um, and yeah. I've heard that from other sports too. They, they see that from the outside in other sports. I, other pro athletes I know in different sports always marvel <laughs> at the, the difference in, in, in that nature of uh, how we kind of really take that to heart and stick yeah. for one another to the point where you literally take one to the jaw for them kind of thing. Yeah. And that's how we grow up. Right. I mean, that's completely how we grow up. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I was looking at uh, some of the things I wrote down. It's, we were talking about junior and I wanted to ask you, <laughs> I've always wanted to ask you this when you were in, back in Kamloops and back then, back then when Hitch was there, it was a different Hitch. And when I mean a different hit sheet, pre-losing the weight. And uh, I, my first year, he was really large. And uh, was that ever a, t and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to rip on Hitch at all. I, I cause uh, he's lost a ton of weight. Uh, but was that ever a thing being kids, you know, you're, as your kids, you're definitely, definitely not as mature or did it ever get spoken about? Um. 
you know what with hitch it was more uh because back then we didn't understand you know why he was like that or whatever but i mean right. so we just made fun of the you know your coach that's what you did because he was the authority and you just he's a player right? <laughs> right everybody hates their coach but hitch opened up to me a few years back and, and i won't share his story on uh you know on a right uh, that's him for him to share but you know a lot of it makes sense when i when i talked to him as because uh, i was coaching with him in st louis and you know we became more friends than, right. than anything and there's there's a lot to unwrap in in his life um and he went through a lot of some really tough things um and uh you know which leads to right. you know how, how he how he dealt with it um and what but you know he's just a brilliant hockey mind like probably still to this day the smartest coach that ever coached me like just a brilliant hockey mind but as far as um you know his what what his you know what he went through and all that it just it all goes back to mental health right i mean there, there's we're all struggling uh in some form or another like we do even the even the greatest athletes they look at michael phelps 23 gold medals right swimmer like this guy um suffers from depression <laughs> 23 yeah. gold medals right you think he's uh, you think he's <laughs> got to be the mentally the tough of the tough right like yeah how do you be that good and that and and uh you know again you know we all struggle with something yeah yeah no well I, we i it's in uh my family uh on on uh, my wife's side and and uh it's it's definitely when you if you don't have it like uh, as far as like uh issues with depression or, or controlling um you know i have bad days and good days like everybody and some really bad ones but i i definitely i can i know the difference because i've seen people with depression and it's it's almost seems out of their control like and if you don't are an understanding to it it can get really frustrating because you're like, well, how come you can't yeah. <laughs> put this foot in front of the other and just keep push forward and, and instead of lying in bed? Uh, it, but if the more you understand or try to be understanding of it anyways and research it, it's, it's definitely a lot more than people, a lot more of the people than you think. Have. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It, it, okay. If, if she had, a, uh, you, you know, if someone had a broken leg, you'd, you'd look at them and say, okay, well, I see you can't get out of bed because I see you've got a cast on. I see you have a broken leg, right? Yeah. Like mental health is because I can't see inside your brain. So I can't see what's broken inside your brain. So it's like, you look fine. Like what's wrong with you? Right. Why right. can't you do that? And be, well, because something in their brain is, is broken. Right. And they need to get it fixed. And that's, that's the misconception about mental health, right? Is, is that because we can't see it, we think, you know, what's wrong? Well, I don't get it. I can't see it. Whereas physically, I can see exactly what's wrong with your leg if you break it, right? Or, or if, yeah. you know, or, or if you separated your shoulder, you're going to have a, a, right? I can see why you can't use your left arm. Uh, or I saw what happened. Whereas our brains, you know, nobody could see how my brain kind of just broke and had OCD, right? You couldn't look at me and say it. Um, but if you did a, a scan of my brain or you could somehow do something that could prove that I had those issues, then it'd be different for people. People would be like, oh yeah, there's a test. There's the results. I see it physically. Um, uh, but there's no test. There's no nothing for it, right? That you can't, you just right. have to rely on what the person tells you. And that's hard as a, uh, as a spouse or a family member, if you don't, if you've never experienced that before, cause it can be debilitating. Oh yeah, and with families and couples, and it it can be a a breaker for sure. Uh, if you don't get help as couples too, oh no question, 
uh, because exactly if yeah. there's if there's one that has it and one that doesn't, that's a challenge because yeah. uh, you like you said you can't see it physically uh, as far as how to deal with it as a couple it, it can get pretty tough uh, yeah but but like you said your big what you're trying to do now is get people out there to to not be afraid to to reach out and get help for themselves and and whatnot. Right. You, well, you wouldn't walk around with a broken leg, right? Why, well, why you go walk around with a broken bank, right? It's like, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. If you walk around with a broken leg, you, you, your life isn't going to get any better until you get it fixed, right? It's the right. same thing for your brain. You know, and if your spouses get it, if they're getting help, they need a supportive partner, right? If the person that has a mental illness isn't getting help, then it's hard for the person to be supportive, right? So, yeah. but if the person is, I mean, be a supportive partner is one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody. Yeah. No doubt. Um, on a lighter note, I was going to ask you, you know, I, your career right now, um, you were doing coaching first, you know, uh, and I want to explain to my viewers, I wanted to say this because this is important to me. Uh, and I was trying to segue. So I didn't know when I was going to bring this up, but as far as I was going to ask you about coaching, but I wanted to say, cause people that, know me know that that's my profession now i'm a coach and uh but I, what people don't a lot of people don't know is uh i i didn't go right into coaching from playing and uh i tried my hand at business and wanted to get away from the game and then when i uh i felt it was time to get back and i uh, into the game but i wasn't sure if i could be a coach or what to do and i wanted to to share this with people that uh, there's a couple people that help me, you know, uh, guide me. And, and one of, one of the, the biggest influences for me in, in helping me was Corey. And uh, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, but I, uh, I remember when I was toiling around and things had gone really south, 08 uh, had hit uh, me and, and, and the markets and, and uh, I lost everything and um, trying to find out what I could do. And, and, and it was like, you know, maybe it's time to get back in the game. I had no idea how. And I talked with you. And it, I don't know if you remember all of that, but it was a big thing for me. And uh, I've thanked you, you know, um, but I, in, not in public. And uh, it, was a big, it was a big deal. You, you kind of guided me. You were with uh, Toronto, right? the time i was yeah and you you, you know what and thank you you know i do remember that but i mean you you know you, you did the work so you got to give yourself a lot of credit too but i get because i'd been there right like i had been in that situation where i was like what am i going to do or and it's tough coming out of the game it really is yeah. it's um people it's a lot harder than people expect because it's uh now you've you've done something for so long now you've got to find a new passion and purpose like yeah. you're like what what is that going to be but Coaching is the same thing, Dusty, for me, is, is what you're doing is, is that it's not about the coaching is that you're helping people. Right. And, yep, and, and isn't sure. it, isn't it, that, that's, it's so much more rewarding than any game you'll have ever played. And, and there's healing in, in helping others. Right. And that's ultimately goaltending coaching is helping. That's why it's such a great thing is, is that you're, you're, you can work one-on-one -on -one with somebody. Right. Yeah. 
and you're helping somebody. And that's why that's where the passion comes back again. Right. So my, you know, my advice to everybody out there that is struggling with career change or transition, when you go into a life of helping others, things just lay in your lap. Right. Yeah. Like it just kind of, um, when you continue to look for things for just for you, um, it's hard. It's hard to find another passionate purpose. And the best thing you can do is get into helping others and, and things just fall in place. And that's the greatest gift you can give. I totally agree. I think the me when I was younger compared to now, I was very goal driven and oh, yeah. very motivated and, and I re- achieved a lot of success doing that, but it wasn't uh, as fulfilling now looking back as even in my career at the end of my career, when I was more about winning as a teammate and sharing the joy of winning where I really started to enjoy the, the, the game as a whole and, and myself as a person and then carry over into coaching. I had, by the time I hit coaching, I had changed a lot in my life, uh, drinking and, and stopped drinking and, and, and just my direction and my motivation. And you nailed it on the head when you said helping others. Uh, I, there were a lot of things in the NHL that I, you know, my style didn't mesh, uh, but I stayed true to me and all I cared about number one was if I helped yep. the, the goalies and the, and the players. And that was my first and f- only uh, important r- r- my, my rule. Uh, and sometimes it didn't, you know, cause you, <laughs> you, I don't, without yep. explaining too much, the NHL, you know, you can, people have to toe the line and, and sh- have an image and show certain things to the, uh, yeah. It's about appeasing other people. And I stuck more with just uh, making sure that I helped the people that I was working with. And, and that was my focus. And, and I feel grat- uh, it's very gratifying when you do it that way. Um, I, I totally agree with what you said about that. Totally. Yeah. Well, and look at the goalies you helped and the people along the way, right? And it's, um, you know, and it's going to come back tenfold at some point right you just don't you don't know when there's no time frame on on karma the way i look at it but yeah right. it's, it's about and and ultimately you did you, you did a good job and you can you can hold your head high and um you know our life path is what it is so uh i, I let's just my advice to anybody out there struggling with career change once you change into a position of helping others everything changes did you purposely switch over to broadcasting um for i i, I kind of know your your path but it's for yeah. the public was it more of a just kind of fell in your lap or a little bit you... of everything i always wanted to right i always wanted to get into broadcasting and all that but i didn't know how to and then i just started um doing stuff on twitter and just started upping my social media Right. And then that kind of got attention. And then that's how I ended up with Sportsnet. And then that's how I ended up getting into broadcasting. And, and I love it. Um, you know, so social media has helped me a ton. Um, it, it worked right. out well for me that way. Um, I should be more active now than I am. But now it's hard though. Once you put, you start putting yourself out there on social media, there's a point too, where you, you, you know, you feel overexposed and 
I, I, you know, I'm a, uh, a bit of an introvert by nature. So then, you know, I like to pull back every once in a while. Um, but yeah, media has been great. I, I've loved it. It's, I've loved every minute of it. I love the platform. I love, you know, what it's uh, watching the players grow and I'm still in the game. That's the best part. Yeah. Do you, do you want to, I, I know you, we talked about it off camera about coaching. Yeah. Is this something you still desire? I would go back to it if I, if, but I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing right now, yeah. which is the mental health stuff. And then, and, and the broadcasting I enjoy Those are probably my two passions now. Uh, coaching, I would go back to it if, if I, if I needed to, or I felt the urge to it. The only thing that, that burns inside me, Dusty, is, is that I don't have my name on the Stanley cup and that will burn at me for the rest of my life until <laughs> it happens. And that's just how I've been raised. That's just who I am. I got to drink out of the cup. I was with the Rangers when they I was going to ask you, goalie, didn't but get you don't get your name on it. I was a black ace, but I was there for the whole ride. It was part of the team and all the process, but um, you know, you don't get your name on it. You don't get a ring. So uh, <laughs> I saw it done. I saw what's happened. I've been to the parties. I got my dad to drink out of it, but I need my name on that damn cup. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, everyone asked me when they, uh, they find out that I coached in LA of all those years. Yeah. They're like, so do you have a ring? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh God. No, it doesn't I work said, that I, no, I, 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 uh, I went in there right, right, right after actually it was the year yeah. after, but it's, uh, uh, for me at the role I was doing for all those years in development, and helping guys get to the NHL. I was just happy. That was my victories. Uh, personally, uh, it just made me feel euphoric yeah. that it was like they made the show and they got their first shutout in the show. And, and awesome. that, that's like a Stanley cup to me. Now, as far as if I were ever to get a, a, in a Stanley cup ring as a coach, it would be totally cool, but Absolutely. it's different. I'm not playing anymore. Like yeah. uh, they're the ones doing it. I'd be so jacked for them, but it's almost more happy for them. Uh, but uh, I do know people that, you know, still love to uh, win as coaches. Uh, a lot of motivated people that way. But for me, it's more just seeing the guys achieve their dreams. And I had my day in the sun and uh, now it's just kind of helping others do that. That's exactly it. And it's exactly what you just said. It goes back to helping others, right? And yeah. that's the greatest feeling in the world. It's the greatest gift in the world. So yeah, um, I think you're doing the right thing and doing the right stuff. Maybe we got to start a, if we can get out of the houses here and start to do uh, some normal shit. Um, <laughs> uh, it'd be cool if we could maybe do some coaching together. Or we could start a band. <laughs> speaking of speaking of i wanted to ask you how's it coming you know what i've taken a little bit of time off but i'm really starting to get to get back at it again right uh, probably a couple of months i haven't played in so but i i want to get going again on it it, it i i really enjoy it um yeah. and it's it helps me with my anxiety and it helps me with my mental health it really does so well, i me. need to look at that yeah There's you text me that, yeah. wanting to learn that one song and such a Chris Stapleton is my favorite and that might be my new favorite song. I, and it's uh, called starting over, which is, you know, yeah. it's like, it's so, you know, just the title of it is, is like, I don't know how many times in my life I've had to start over. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just so, 
you know, it's not what the song is about, but for me, the title is like, uh, right. resonates with me starting yeah. over. Right. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Oh, I, I, I did a little mini pod the other week uh, and it was about my favorite bands and music growing up and what it meant to me. And at the end, I, I, I mentioned some bands that right now that my go-tos and I have a lot of hard rock stuff and yeah, but Chris Stapleton is one. Uh, so it's kind of strange for me because he's a bit of an offshoot, but he, he, he expands over more than one genre of music and the guy can play guitar like nobody's business and his voice is just sick. Right. Yeah. And you know, he's written a lot of songs for a lot of other that mm -hmm. you, I didn't even know uh, all right. the songs, all the hits he's written, like just so artistically talented. And just when you listen to him, it's like just such a, uh, an incredible um, talent really is what it boils down to just uh the ability that he has and it's just to, to me that's fascinating because i don't care if you're a professional athlete lawyer doctor um when someone is that that level of talent it's just so cool to see it come out of them it's crazy his voice it just blows my mind like there's a uh, I'm a guitarist by nature, but I am fascinated with people that can just wail singing. Yeah. I, and there's great, there's great artists that don't necessarily have great voices or, but there's some that it just comes out of them. It's like God given. And he's one of those dudes, man. It's a sound. It's like, it's an instrument in itself, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so, so cool. sick. And he looks, to, he just that he, I know he, he's not a rock guy per se, but he looks he's got the life of a rock star and like he's been he through can, the drinking and the booze and, and he just looks weathered in that way. And, and yeah, his guitars like are all lives. old and right? shit. <laughs> he's just the coolest guy. I love him. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah. He looks like he's lived. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the best uh, musicians are, are weathered to say the least. Oh my goodness. And God bless them. And that's the thing about being a hockey player, professional athlete. We all want to be rock stars. All the rock stars want to be a professional athlete. In the podcast with Jamie, um, we talked about that. Because we, yeah. we kind of have a bunch of crossover friends in the entertainment business. And and it's like every everybody we know that's a rock star wants to be a hockey player. And yeah. all the hockey players want to be... <laughs> rock stars right it's so it's, true i'd give anything to be a rock star well, I, I, i'd make no bones about it if i had a choice I, to do it again everyone says if i had a choice to do it again i'd still be a, do this or i wouldn't have changed a thing i would have I'd, I'd be a rock star i would have for sure you'd be in a band no brainer no brainer if someone said can you be a professional goalie or a rock star i'd be like no brainer. rock star hands any, down any day hey any day hey man the um uh the last thing i want to ask you before we head off here is uh i had ian bag on my first oh, show yeah my first pod he man. he was so awesome i was so happy because i was nervous to do my first one and and uh people are like you sure you want to have him on your first one like uh because he's a proven you know he's a, a a known comedian and i said uh I just wanted to have fun, my first one. And, and he was so awesome. He kind of helped me along and made things funny. And 
uh, a lot of people don't know that you're the reason why I met him in the first place. Oh, he's, isn't he? He's like, he's one of my best friends and he's just his, his brain, how it, how it functions fascinates me because he's super, <laughs> he's really smart. And you would think a comedian, he'd be like, there's a guy that gets up there and tells jokes. Uh, he works at it too. And it's, he works so hard at it. Um, that's it. And it's, it's his, uh, it's, uh, I met him through a friend of mine. Uh, he's from Terrace, BC. And he, um, so they all grew up together. Uh, so Jeff Sharples played in the NHL. Wade Flaherty played in the NHL. Ian Bag became a comedian. Uh, and these three guys are all from the small town up in Terrace, BC, like, like, like 15,000 people, a fishing town way up North. Right. How do they get three, you know, uh, almost in the same age, same generation come out with talent like that. And Ian's, um, his, his, his gig isn't telling jokes. It's, he has a conversation with the crowd and it's just, it's so impressive how he ties things together and talks to people without offending them too. Right. I mean, I mean, I've seen him offend people, but, but it's not like, but it's, it's a conversation of basically just how, um, how bizarre people are right like they people the audience gives him his show but he's got to orchestrate it it's like he's like a conductor it's a mind bender watching funniest it you know we've all i've i've i had gone to comedians before just like you had and you go and you have some chuckles and you laugh and you go that guy was funny and you know that was good and then i saw ian bag and ian it was a friend of mine but when i went to see him for the first time like my stomach was sore (laughs) right and I'd never had that with a comedian before, right? Like where it's like, it, it just the funniest stuff comes out. And he's just such a, he's a good dude and a good person. And if you ever get a chance, Ian Bag, look him up or go see him live because he's incredible. Yeah, well, I was, I was pumped to even just so I could let people know. As far as worldwide, he's, he's not as well known as some of the other, you know, Kevin Hart's yeah. and whatnot. But you want to talk about I'm fascinated at how his delivery of comedy is just like no other. And I, I wanted to share that. Yeah. And uh, his mind is different. <laughs> it just works differently, man. You could go see the same comedian and their shows are typically the same jokes. Right. You know, right maybe right. with a little bit different and all that. Ian's shows, they're all different. All of them because yeah. the crowd's different and the right. crowd is his show. Right. right. So, you never see the same show. Yeah, he's got a few of the lead-ins and some of his jokes and right. are, are, are material to lead in, but then the show just takes on a whole new... And that's in itself. I mean, Ian should have a, a Vegas show, his own show. He should go on America's Got Talent and just go and just work the crowd. And he'd probably win. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I, and I, I, I started taking the goalies in L.A., uh, Jack Campbell, Cal Peterson, yeah. Buddha, and those guys. And uh, they, it was the best thing. It was the best yeah. thing. Cause I would actually ha- get a, for me, get a hoot out of just watching their reactions to Ian. Yeah. It, it's different. It's not the same as regular comedy. It's different. No. Because you're yeah. reacting to crowds and how he's. It's a show. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's you're amazing. fully entertained uh, at the end of CNN. It's it's, he's, a, he's a great dude. Yeah. Hey, man, I really appreciate you um, doing this with me, and we got to catch up. Oh, absolutely. More, and I'll do that uh, guitar lesson when you're ready to. Oh, I'll be I'll be in touch with you very soon to get that done, probably <laughs> after the holidays sometime. We'll, we'll definitely. For sure. 
all the best to your kids and um, uh, have a great holiday and um, let's stay in touch, buddy. Awesome. You too, buddy. Appreciate it. Right on. Peace to you, brother. Thanks, brother. I want to thank Corey for coming on today. It was so much fun for me personally, you know, listening to a friend tell you that he's finally found his calling after all these years. Pretty cool. If you'd like to know more about Corey, you can find him on Twitter. His handle is at Corey Hirsch. That's C-O-R-E-Y-H-I-R-S-C-H. And his Instagram is at CoreyHirsch72. He also has a website, CoreyHirsch.com. If you are in need of someone to talk to now, reach out and break your silence. There are people out there, good people like Corey, that are wanting to listen and help. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm not sure if I'm going to get another episode out before Christmas, you know, so if I don't, have a merry, merry Christmas. Stay safe, stay connected, and God bless.